On this very interesting episode, we dive deep into the underworld and then making of a warrior under very dangerous conditions. We travel into the Mexican drug wars from a narcotics agent's eyes and discuss the spiritual and mystical side of these drug cartels. Our special guest today is Robert Almonte, who is a former U.S. Marshal of the Western District of Texas. This guy has provided training to thousands of law enforcement officers throughout the United States and Sweden. He has spent years conducting extensive research on the Mexican drug trade and how they prayed for protection from law enforcement. He's also the creator and the producer of the DVD Patron Saints of the Mexican Underworld. This is going to be a great conversation. Stand by. Welcome back to The Man of War. My name is Rafa Conde, and of course, I am your host. I am the man on a mission to transform you into a modern-day warrior, a.k.a. a man of war. Listen, my brothers, I want to say thank you for your support. It has been absolutely overwhelming here in the month of July. We sold out, literally, of all our early bird tickets And man, I am just so stoked up about that. The Conclave of Warriors is absolutely kicking ass and we are just revving up the engines. So thank you again for those who took advantage of these pre-sales that we had and these great offers and locked down a seat. Very important. If you have not done so already, go to www.conclaveofwarriors.com. Get yourself a ticket ASAP because they will sell out. This event is going to be held in the Hyatt Regency. We're, we're talking here about the Ash Auditorium, right, in the James L. Knight Center, downtown Miami, December 1 and 2. And we are bringing together warriors from all walks of life, all under one roof. This is going to be amazing. Two days of an immersive experience. We're talking about day one is going to be seven elite warriors on one stage in the Ash Auditorium. Day two, we're going to break out, do breakout sessions. We're going to do Q&A sessions. It's just going to be badass. We're going to have VIP parties, inner circle breakfast, you're going to get to know these individuals, these warriors on a one-on-one basis. This is all about connecting with the audience, right? Connecting with you because the idea here is we want to differentiate ourselves from other conferences. We want this message to resonate with you. We want it to connect with you. We want to be part of your growth. And this is going to be an unbelievable event. Go to conclaveofwarriors.com. Do not wait. Tickets have been selling very, very fast. All right. On another note, give us a follow on Instagram at Man of War with two R's. And we do have a new YouTube account, a new YouTube channel. Check it out on the show notes. Please subscribe. Give us a follow. And if you have not gotten the newest warrior guide, get it for free right now at forgingawarrior.com forward slash manual. And of course, go check out the Warrior Development Academy. It's an online development academy. 
It is absolutely free for two full weeks, all right? 14 days for free, no strings attached, forgingawarrior.com. All right, listen up. I want to jump into this show now, uh, and it is very deep. We're going to be talking about very mystical aspect of the Mexican drug cartels and the Mexican drug wars. This guy's legit. You're going to love it. It's all about the mindset of the warrior when they're out there battling these demons. Here we go. Robert Almonte, brother, welcome to the Man of War. Great to have you on. Thank you, Ralph. It's really an honor, a great pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Awesome, man. We have a uh, mutual friend together, uh, Jay Dobbins. He introduced me to you, and uh, we were talking before the podcast here, and damn, man, you have some unbelievable experience in the law enforcement world, and uh, we really want to dive deep into your mindset and you know how you made it from a patrol officer all the way up to deputy chief and then uh, running a region for the marshals. So what I want you to do for our listeners that don't know who you are, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely, Rafa. My name again is Robert Almonte. I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. And, uh, and then uh, I joined the El Paso, Texas Police Department in 1978. I mentioned uh, this coming September will be 40 years ago that I started the uh, police academy. That's hard to believe. It just flew by. And I think that goes along the lines of, of your podcast here, Rafa, is that uh, when you're having fun, uh, it, it doesn't seem like 40 years. You told me it had been 10 years. I believe you. Uh, and then uh, I, I worked patrol for a few years, three years, and then I went to the uh, tactical unit. Tactical unit in El Paso focused on uh, in-progress crime. We basically took, our, took care of all the issues, uh, special projects, special assignments going on in the El Paso Police Department. So we caught a lot of burglars in the act, robbers in the act, a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff. And then in 1985, I was promoted to detective, went straight to narcotics, and uh, did about three and a half years there working uh, undercover, uh, short-term undercover operation, by bus, reversal, uh, use uh, informant, CI, search warrants. And then uh, promoted to sergeant with the El Paso Police Department. When you get promoted, you're in a specialized unit. You got to go back to patrol, and uh, that's just the way it is. That that was the answer I was given. So I went back <laughs> to patrol for for a year, and then uh, the captain there at the, at the regional station I was at wanted me to start uh, the department's first impact team. Uh, what was good about that was I had the support of the captain. I had uh, I was actually able to handpick. Uh, my personnel and 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 I nice. got my philosophy on on handpicking uh, people and I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, at some point. Um, and then um, I uh, went to back to narcotics as a street uh, narcotic sergeant and then the major crime sergeant in narcotics, promoted to lieutenant, worked patrol on the shift commander for 13 months, then went back to narcotics as the narcotic commander for about seven years or so promoted to captain and then deputy chief and in those ranks I oversaw narcotics as well as, as well as all the detectives including uh, homicide investigators, gang investigators and so on. And then uh, in uh, 2010 I was appointed by President Obama to be uh, the United States Marshal for the Western District of, uh, of Texas. I was there from 2010 to 2016. Damn man, some great credentials, no doubt <laughs> about it man. 
And uh, so your, your career was vast career. I mean, you went, uh, and for, for many listeners that don't know, a lot of times, most agencies, you know, once you get promoted, typically they kind of throw you back on the road. You know, they kind of give you boots on ground. And, you know, that's just the way it rolls. But you got to have the fortitude and that mindset uh, I don't know if you agree with me, Robert, that because you you might be a detective and the next thing you do is you get promoted and they throw you back on the road and a lot of guys just get discouraged and kind of they put the job uh, in the back burner and they just, you know, get stressed out throughout their entire career that, hey, I'm back on the road now, you know, and so talk to me a little bit about how you overcame because you were thrown back to the road so many times, how you overcame that and how you just kind of push through it and say, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can here and just move forward. Yeah, well, you know, and, and, and there are different things involved, uh, 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 Rafa, but uh, I, I think uh, the one uh, sentence that will sum everything up is, is my philosophy and anything that anyone's going through is, is you got to remember that it, it won't hurt forever. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's not going to hurt forever. You know, it'll be awesome. done and then you and then you get back. And I always try to live that in my professional life and live by that in my professional life and my personal life uh, as well. But yeah, you know, I, you're, you're, you're used to having uh, working narcotics undercover and having a great time and you got all this experience and then they put you back in patrol. Now you're, you're doing shift work, you're patrolling an area or supervising some patrol officers. Uh, so then the challenge there is now you're supervising a different type of officer. And it, it is supervising a different type of officer sure. when you were supervising a uniformed officer or an undercover officer. Sure. And I don't care what anybody says. It is a different way. You supervise these guys differently. That's just the way it is. And I know there's a lot of people out there saying, no, it's the same. Managing is managing. And I say that's all bullshit. You know, it's just, it's just different. Me, the narcotic detective, I don't want to be supervised like a patrol officer. Agreed. That's just the way it is. You know, so uh, you just you just fight uh, through that. And I got to tell you, uh you know, uh, I was enjoying narcotics so much as a detective, you know, having fun. And, and you know what I'm talking about, man. You're just you know, hanging out and you're, you're taking down these, these dopers and you're, you're putting their asses in jail. And you're, you, you really are making a difference. And you're having so much fun. And then uh, it's like, I don't want to leave, man. You know, and I remember I got some advice from two good people when I was a narcotic detective. One of them was a former Texas Department of Public Safety undercover narc. We became friends, and he says, hey, are you going to take the promotional exam? And then I go, no, nah, man, why, do, why would I want to do that? Shit, look at that, man. I got a take-home car. I don't have to I, – I, I dress how I want to dress. I don't have to take a bath if I don't want to take a bath. You know, that kind no of doubt, stuff. No doubt, no doubt, yeah. <laughs> and he says, uh, he says, well, you know, you can if you like it that much, promote, and you can always come back at a higher rank. I said, well, I didn't think about that shit. And then, uh, and then at one point – uh, about that same time, a lieutenant, narcotic commander, Joe Diaz, a great guy, he came to my little cubicle and said, hey, are you taking the sergeant test? And I go, nah, I don't think so, LT. I'm having too much fun here. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, you know, Robert, uh, yeah, I know you're having fun and everything, but you got to be careful. Don't let your job interfere with your career. When he said that, it kind of hit me. Interesting. You know, cause yep. I said, yeah, don't let your job interfere with your career. And I go, you know, that when you, I never thought about that. That mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Sure. Uh, I love narcotic, but I got to think about my future, my family, and all that stuff. So then that started the ball rolling, and I started promoting. And, and you know what? It was true. I was able to go back uh, uh, again. But during those times, as you mentioned, uh, working uh, uh, patrol, just uh, like a culture shock kind of almost, you know? Sure. It's like uh, 
you, it, you just gotta. It's all about attitude, Rob. I don't care what it is. Absolutely, in life. absolutely. It's all. It's, it's all about attitude, and it's all about you get knocked down, uh, getting back up again. It's all about being relentless. It's all about your your you controlling your destiny. You controlling uh, what's going on in your life and your situ- situation. And what I mean by controlling, I'm, I'm talking about your your attitude to that situation, your reaction sure, to that, sure. that situation. And basically, look, I'm in this situation. I'm going to make the best of the situation. I'm going to be the best damn patrol sergeant I can be. Damn you right. Damn I, right. That's my focus. I'm here, narcotics within the past. I don't know if I'll go back again, but I'm here now. Let's go out there and let's kick some ass. And yep, and, yep. and let's, let's send a message to all these uh, criminals that are trying to, or committing crimes in our in our area. So my my philosophy, again, is it, it doesn't, you know, whatever it is in life doesn't hurt forever. It, you know, it'll pass. That's a, that's a great and, attitude, and, Robert, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then positive attitude. And then also, uh, I mentioned handpicking people is uh, I pick, <laughs> I handpick people with good attitude. Attitude's contagious. Sure. You know, atti- sure. attitude is contagious. Uh Good attitudes are contagious. Bad attitudes are con- contagious. So, I I, uh, I don't know if you you uh, know the term animo. What animo means? The yes, Spanish word yes, animo. Yep, yep. And that's, that's you know that's your soul. That's your heart. That's, that's your, right. your passion. And that's what I've always believed. And and even as a as a marshal, like you know, hey, let's hit the the ground running. And you know, sometimes that wasn't too well received because you know people are real comfortable in their situation, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. some people don't like to hear this. Let's do more shit, you know. Right, no and doubt. I don't know. That's no just the way. I'm, you know, let let's do more. And and you know, the other thing too is I said it doesn't hurt forever. But the other thing too is people. I think all of us need to think about this more, and I'm talking about our mortality. You know, I think we just get so used to what's going on that. We don't really consider that, you know, this shit's not going to last forever. We're going to die one day, you know. So let's make the, the best of this short life, you know. And you get down, uh, get up. They kick you in the ass again, get up, and just, just move uh, move forward. That's great, man. Great words, no doubt about it. And, you know, for, you know, this is not a law enforcement podcast. It's not a military podcast. It's basically a warrior-minded individual that's what we have here and we haven't had too many blue bloods too many you know law enforcement guys on and i'm gonna do my best here over the next few months to bring on some law enforcement guys because i truly believe that there is a lot i mean in a lot of mindset strategies that we can take from good police officers from people that are working the street that are working in different units um, because it requires a mindset, no doubt. And uh, the beautiful thing about this is that you experience narcotics at different levels. You experience narcotics from an agent's level, and then you experience it from multiple supervisor positions, which really gave you a feel for the overall job, no no doubt. And I know being a captain and a lieutenant, your responsibilities are, are a little bit different than actually being an agent and being hands-on out there. But if we take this out of the realm of law enforcement, we can apply a lot of what Robert said here to our lives, right, to our daily lives. You know, nothing is ever going to hurt forever. Those are, those are great words to live by because, um, and not to say that patrol is, is, is down in the, in the bottom of the barrel because all police agencies, that is their base, okay? Um, 
Currently, I'm a patrol officer, and I work as a field training officer, and I'm loving my gig, man. I'm loving my gig. I mean, I did almost 10 years in narcotics, and, and I worked at, and it's definitely a different hat that I'm wearing, but there's something special about what I do here. I'm enjoying my time here, and it's not like I'm thinking, hey, you know what? Oh, I'm a, I'm a patrol cop right now, and I was working federal cases and t- taking millions of dollars from people and really making an impact. But now here's where I am. I'm extending my hand. I'm helping. I'm helping make the agency better and having that great attitude that you're talking about. So I want to shift hats here and I want to talk about when you were coming up. Okay. Did you have a mentor, someone that said, you know what? I want to follow this guy and I want to follow his footsteps. You know, uh, Rafa, I, I didn't have one, only one mentor. I, I think what I did is, is I, I used qualities or I took qualities from different people because not everybody does everything perfect. Hey, guys, just to break in the action, listen, you guys constantly ask me where I get the hats that I wear. And I got to tell you, it's very simple, bostonscally.com. These guys are some badass hat makers. It's the old style reformed to a new modern look. They have different colors, different styles. No doubt about it. Go get yourself a hat. You look badass. When you do get one, do me a favor. Send me a pic. Also tag myself, Man of War, with two R's and Boston Scally. So go check them out at bostonscally.com. You know, we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. So what I try to do is take the strength from different supervisors that I, I worked for, that I saw, and, and, and adapt those strengths to my style. And then I already had my own weaknesses to begin with. So uh, it, it's a matter of, it wasn't just one particular person, but as far as undercover, uh, yeah, there were some uh, great narcs out there, man. And, and I learned very early on, it, it's, uh, it's, and working undercover, having the gift of gab, man, being able to, to talk to these uh, drug dealers. And, 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 and it's an acting job, really, is what it is. You're, you're acting. You know, you did that. You're in a, you, take, you, in assume, you assume an undercover role. You're acting. You're trying to convince these guys that you're a drug dealer. You're either buying drugs or you're selling drugs to them. And uh, so I saw some guys that, uh, man, these guys were kicking ass. They, were, they had that gift of gab. They were able to talk. And, uh, and, and then the other thing, too, is that they treated people uh, good. You know, they didn't change their attitude after these guys were busted. They treated them with respect. And, and that was uh, uh, something that I saw. So I basically uh, took a lot of good things from different people is what I, what I did or what I tried to do. That's great. That's great. So you basically looked at different individuals that you felt that you can align yourself with them and they had maybe something that you felt like you can get to their level and you followed them. You didn't focus one person individually, but you did focus on, you know, multiple individuals, which is a great thing. If someone might have something, a tool that you want to kind of integrate into what, you know, your strategy. Um, So, if we keep on going down your life here um, and we look back and we say, hey, you know what? 40 years ago, you started in the police academy. Would you change anything today that you did back then? You know, that's a tough question, uh, Rafa. And I really, you know, my immediate thought reaction to your question is uh, I can't think of anything. I'm sure if I gave it some thought. <laughs> and look back at my career, <laughs> 40 years, I might have said, yeah, I shouldn't have done that shit. You know, <laughs> I shouldn't have done this shit. <laughs> you know, I think we all, we all have that. But, but overall, uh, no, man, it just, it just flew by. You know, I did 25 
with the with the PD, and it was it was just un, unbelievable. I, I don't think really I, I don't think I'd change anything because all of the things that I did, uh, good things, the not so good things, the mistakes. I think all of those things uh, help uh, develop who I am uh, today. You know, and you learn from those mistakes. Those are mistakes in life. Uh, you learn from the good things. You know, like hey, that worked out pretty good. I'm going to do that shit again. Or you know, I screwed up here. I, I can't do that shit anymore. So it's just uh, uh, overall, I can't think of one particular thing, but I can tell you that uh, as far as uh, in my opinion, what made the time go by so quickly is, is I had fun, man. I, I enjoyed it, and I'm still having fun. And, and I didn't mention this, but uh, today I'm, I'm still kind of involved in law enforcement. I do law enforcement training all over the country, and I, I love that because I get to hang out with cops, and, and I love when I'm talking to these young cops, especially the younger ones, and I see the deer in the headlight uh, look that they give me when I'm when they're learning something new, and and it it, it makes me feel good when I I actually hear I receive cases from cops who say, hey, because of your training. Uh, you know, it, it, we, we, we didn't get hurt or we put these guys in jail. We took the money off the street and there's nothing better, nothing better than that. And, and, and the message, my attitude as a police officer, as a cop, narcotic detector, that hasn't changed when I'm teaching cop, when I'm training cop. And I tell these guys, and this is very important, I think, and it doesn't matter, as you mentioned, whether you're military, you're law enforcement or you're civilian, whatever you're doing in life, that does not matter. We all got to do something, man. <clears throat> and not everybody's meant to be a cop or, or in the military. We all got to do something. The matter is, are you going to do it right? How good of a job are you going to do? And I tell these guys, man, you got you got to have a fire in here. And I believe as a cop or a military officer or, or any position in life, I don't. You know, you can't treat it as a job. It's not a job. I, the, the the years I did as a cop and U.S. Marshal wasn't a job to me. I believe it's a mission. And what I'm doing right now, training cops, I still believe that's a mission. And we can't that's treat awesome. it like a job. You you know, you got to have you got to have the passion in here. You got to have a flame. And unfortunately, there's people out there that don't even have the damn pilot light lit. You know what I'm talking about? We know those no people. Doubt. You got oh, to yeah. have that fire. You got to, you know, and I tell these guys, when you go out there, I remember my days, man, working with my guys. And, and I got to tell you, I had fun as a narcotic detective, but I really had a lot of fun too as a supervisor, especially the sergeant, because I went out there with these guys a lot. Even a narcotic commander went out there, we kicked doors and we did the buy bus. And you, there's a high you get from taking these guys off the street, taking drug money, taking drugs, weapons off the street. Of course, being of course. Trafficking. Yep. You know, you get, this, you get this certain high. And I remember sometimes it was like, man, we'd go from one to another to another. <laughs> and I remember telling my guy, well, we're regrouping. I go, man, ain't this fun shit. Can you imagine the shit we could do if we didn't have to sleep? <laughs> my guy, just, <laughs> they just looked at me and laughed and you're fucking crazy, man. And I, and I really, really, and, and I think, I feel bad for people that are not enjoying what they're doing in life right now. Uh, I feel bad for them because, again, life is too damn short. It's going to end one day. It's going to end yep, one yep. day. And I tell you guys, your career is going to end one day. You know, sure. and I remember being a young a rookie, and if a cop came in and told me, hey, you know, you got to think about retirement, screw that shit. I got 20 years to go, but it flies sure. by, man. You know, and, and you and I talked to, to cops in the room that are really, really young, and we talked to cops in the room that they look like they could have retired yesterday. You know, so we have a, a wide range of, of, of age right. there. You know, so uh, there's so many different things involved. Now, when you were uh, working undercover and you started going out there on the street and doing these by bust and reverses, I mean, it takes a certain type of mindset. First of all, it takes balls of steel. That's to start with, okay? Especially putting yourself out there uh, in, in a violent area, 
because most of the time when you're dealing drugs, you're not in, you know, you're not working in the best location in the world. You're typically working in, in an area that is tough. You know, it's a violent area. And when you do these, you know, we're talking about street level uh, buys and you go out there and you're doing either reverses and or you're doing some type of uh, narcotics transaction. The next thing that you that you're looking at is, man, you know, these guys at any time can either make you or decide to, you know, rob you. And so how did you use your mindset and, you know, how did you use that officer safety to kind of, you know, live on and, and get through these um, situations? Well, you know, uh, Rafa, and the, the, the key is what you said there at the end, that's uh, officer safety, and then it, that should be first and foremost in any police operation. And, and, and that's the thing uh, cops, military people also need to remember is, is you can never let, and we're talking about cops, you can never let a, any law enforcement activity become a routine activity. Never. That's when, that's when things go wrong. That's when officers get hurt. That's when officers get killed. We all heard about the routine traffic stop. Okay, oh, officer yeah. makes hundreds and hundreds, and then all of a sudden, boom. Wasn't really prepared, didn't treat it like the first one, treated it like it was a 2000 stop. You know, nothing happened. It was 2000 before, 2001, this is what happened. So same thing right. with, working, with working undercover is, and I got to tell you, I work street-level uh, deals. I bought a lot of heroin uh, I worked uh, mid-level, upper-level deals, uh, kilos of cocaine, uh, a lot of heroin, marijuana. I did reversals. I sold hundreds of pounds of marijuana. But I got to tell you, man, the deal that made me the most nervous was your street-level deal, buying a balloon yes. from a hype from a hype on a street Hell corner yeah. or inside the house. That that one right there, I was nervous as shit, man. Mm-hmm. These other ones, you know, not so much. Yeah, you're nervous and everything, but it just seemed like, man, these, you know you're dealing with desperate people. These are heroin sure. addicts, and they're just thinking about their next fix. And yep. if you're going to do anything to prevent that next fix, like maybe putting them in jail, they'll kill you. And yes. I think uh, studies have shown that uh, uh, on your drug undercover investigation, most officer killings are involve street-level deals. And, and it's, just, uh, mm-hmm. it's just having the mindset that I got to prepare Okay, I got to prepare and not just say, okay, let's go to the next one. Let me go out there and, and make a buy and making sure you have your cover officers that are going to cover you. And are they are they really covering you? And if the shit hits the fan, uh, I mean, where's your weapon? I never did an undercover deal without a weapon. You know, where's Amen. your weapon? You know, and then the other thing I, I remember back then and, and today I tell cops is like, uh, here's my question, man. Where do you carry your weapon? Okay, then they all say, well, here, there are different places. That's a matter of personal preference. And my next question is, sure. okay, when you go to the range and, and practice, where do you carry your weapon? And the yep. answer should be, it should better be the same damn answer. And if it's not, you're hurting yourself, man. you gotta be, sure. you, you, you got to be, you got to practice like you train. You know, you got to train like you practice back and forth. Yes. So, so it's, just, uh, it's just having that mindset. And, and I did that. I did that as a detective. Uh, being real careful, and then also, uh, you know, relying on that gut feeling, man. I remember being in deals and just seeing something or, or some body language or something, and this shit sucks, man. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. And, and I'd, I'd rather have my, my guy go home every every day than risk, a, a, you know, their life on some stupid damn drug deal, you know. Of course. No doubt. No doubt about it. I mean, it makes total sense. And, you know, one of the things that um, a lot of, 
people out there don't really realize is, you know, the mindset that goes into, you know, being a narcotics agent, being someone that's going out there and doing these reverses and doing these buys, you know, and we all know the guys that are good agents. And then there's other guys that for the most part, yeah, they're in the narcotics unit, but they're going to be takedown guys. You know, they're going to be the guys that are going to be backing you up. Um, you know, the undercover guys are typically the guys that are faced with that immediate threat if it does, you know, go down. And let's talk a little bit here about a situation that you were put in at one point or another throughout your career that you just, your hair stood up and you were like, damn, you know, I got to get out of this one way or another. And you were able to, you know, overcome it and get out. Hmm. Yeah, you know, there, there were a few, but I guess the one that come to mind was uh, doing an undercover deal inside a, inside an apartment. And, you know, you got your cover outside, but they're outside uh, and they're, they're going to be in a car. And then uh, I remember this particular uh, uh, case. Uh, where uh, I think I was buying some cocaine and uh, I'm calling the bust and uh, the wire wasn't working. They, nobody, nobody was coming. <laughs> and that's a shitty feeling when you're calling for your backup, your takedown group and, and nobody's coming. And oh, yeah. it, it may just be a minute or two that you're in there, but it seems like an hour or two. And then, uh, and then these guys, uh, you know, they're, like okay well get the you know get your shit and get out of here give us our money or whatever and uh sure. you know trying to stall them and shit like that and then they start getting nervous like what the fuck going on here mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and and i think uh, i think a lot of that whether the first reaction i think from them was because they didn't think i was a cop they thought maybe i was gonna rip them off that, those are my sure. thoughts okay and because that shit happens every day uh so uh then they locked the fucking door and it's like you know shit uh, do I go for my gun? You know, there are three of them there. One guy had the gun in a waistband. And then, and then uh, finally, finally, the door uh, kicks in. Uh, these guys, for whatever reason, by the grace of God, uh, didn't, didn't, you know, shoot or do anything. And uh, But that was one that I recall that uh, another one, um, buying some heroin and uh, street-level heroin and get into, uh, I'm like in an alley. <clears throat> and I didn't like to go into apartments very often and, and you know, I did a couple of times. Uh, we talk about mistakes, stuff like that. I go inside an apartment, and uh, I buy some heroin. And then uh, they hand me a uh, a syringe and tell me, uh, cook it up here and shoot it up right here in front of us. So uh, I, uh, of course, I'm not going to do that shit. <laughs> so I bullshitted them. I said, look, this shit's not for me, man. It's for my old lady. I don't shoot up, man. Right, look right. at me. I don't shoot up. It's for my own lady. I don't shoot up, man. And okay, they bought that story and they, they had, because they had locked the door and mm -hmm. asked me to shoot up. Mm -hmm. And that was one where like, holy shit, what the fuck am I going to do? My first thought yeah, right yeah. away when they did that shit, holy shit, what am I going to do? I know yeah. I'm not going to shoot up. Right, so right, right. <laughs> what's my plan? <laughs> and that's the best I could come up with. And it worked. So a lot of undercover work is thinking on your feet. Oh, man. hell you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ad living and shit. Oh, you man. do, you have your meetings and you draw up your plans, operational plans and shit. It, they, I don't ever saw one operation plan go down the way with plans. Oh, no. Ops Something plan are just there Some for change. department. Uh, you know, exactly. <laughs> that's it. Exactly. Yeah, we, we had a plan and here it is. <laughs> 
this is what really happened. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, man. That's that's awesome. That's great. And um, so you know, I, I I go back and I start saying, you know what? It, believe it or not, I believe that a good undercover agent will make a hell of a salesperson. Would you agree with me? A hundred percent. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing, man. You're you're selling yourself. You got to do that. You got to do that before you can get them to sell you drugs or you can sell them drugs. That's absolutely right, man. You got to convince these guys that you're not the heat, you're not a cop, and you're in the business. You're serious about this shit, and that's what it is. You'd make a good uh, a good salesperson, and and you know, I uh, one of the classes I, I teach now is on hotel interdiction and getting these cops to go out to the ho- go out to hotels and. Uh, kind of uh, provide training to hotel staff on uh, recognizing indicators of drug trafficking and sure. sex trafficking, a lot of sex trafficking oh, going yeah, on yeah. right now. And I oh, tell yeah. the guy, look, the number one thing you got to do is you got to sell yourself. You have you have to have a good personality. You got to be personable. Get sure. these people that like you to call you. And I think that implies, applies in anything you do in, in, uh, in police work, really. No doubt, man. So let's get into your U.S. Marshal days. I mean, is uh, I, I believe you were probably focused on apprehension of some bad dudes, some you know fugitives out there, and in the area that you were supervising and that you were looking over. I mean, that's a pretty high violent crime area, no doubt about it. You want to share some stories with that? Yeah, you know, uh, and that's absolutely right. A lot of people uh, don't uh, know exactly what the United States Marshals Service uh, does. Matter of fact, I remember. Um, uh, some uh, reporter wondering why we were doing a press conference on uh, an arrest we made and why we were involved. And the reporter actually told me, well, I thought all you guys did was you guys were the bailiffs for the judges in federal court. Well, now, first of all, we're not bailiffs. Okay? These are these are cops with guns. They're, they're not bailiffs. They're, they're in the courtrooms uh, providing uh, security, and you got some high-risk prisoners on trial, so they're doing that. But, yeah. Uh, the, the the marshal service uh, goes after the fugitives, and 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 we went after. They go after the worst of the worst. So there's nobody worse than the ones the marshals go after. The worst of the worst, and they dedicate a lot of resources to go after them. But we don't do it by ourselves. I say we, like I'm. It was the marshal service. Uh, the marshal service could not do what they do right now without the assistance of our task force officers. Sure. The ta- marshal task forces is our bread and butter. Uh, we got a lot of uh, dedicated local uh, state uh, cops on the task force, and we go after the worst of the worst. What I mean by worst of the worst, I'm talking about murderers. I'm talking about child uh, killers, rapists, murderers. I'm talking about drug cartel uh, leaders. I'm talking about leaders of hate group. Uh, sure, we sure. go after them, and we stay on their and we stay on their on their heels. Uh, we also uh, uh, go after the uh, sex offenders that are out of compliance. Uh, and, and that's very important because studies have shown and our experiences have shown that a lot of these sex offenders will repeat their criminal activity. So you got to stay, keep tabs on them. Right, and if right. they're out of compliance, they're out of compliance. You do what you can to throw their ass back in jail. So you keep them away from the, uh, from the kids. Sure. sure. Uh, but, but, uh, asset forfeiture is another big area the marshal service is, uh, is involved in. Uh, just so many, so many different things. But the bulk of the time with the marshal service spent going on after the uh, the worst of the of the worst, and uh, and then also as a marshal, I sat in some uh, high profile trials, oversaw security. Uh, one that come to mind was a uh, very uh, tragic case uh, out of El Paso. Actually, you had a El Paso County Sheriff uh, detention officer, um, 
and his wife, who was an employee at the U.S. consulate in Juarez, Mexico. This happened, I believe, in 2010 or around there. And on a Saturday, they're invited to a uh, birthday party uh, of a co-worker of the wife in Juarez. Little kid's party, right? So it's a Saturday. They go to the party. Unbeknown to them, they're under surveillance by the Barrio Azteca gang. The Barrio Azteca gang, basically the gang that worked for the Juarez cartel. They're basically the sicarios, the hitman for mm -hmm. the cartel. Well, they're under surveillance. The, the, the family leaves the party. And what's going on here is they're, the, the Barrio Azteca is going after. They got a hit on a car. Uh, matching the description that these people were in wrong wrong car wrong description right so right. they're waiting for the command they're waiting for the green light to take these people out it was the the lieutenant of the body of tech on the radio he's not sure so they tell him hey we just got a couple of uh, a minute or so and they're going to be back into the united states so he says well fuck it kill them damn kill them shot them a couple of blocks away from the port of entry um leslie and and arthur Rodell. And, and, and very tragic, and their, I believe, five-year-old daughter at the time was in the back seat, uh, unharmed, thank God, but now an orphan. And then to add, add to it, make it worse, is Leslie was also pregnant at, uh, pregnant at the time. So it was a very horrible situation. So DEA, FBI uh, and, uh, did a, a great job in investigating the case and, and, and placed several of these people under arrest. And, uh, and they were, the trial was held in El Paso when I was a marshal at the time. The federal courthouse in El Paso is literally blocks away from the, the Mexican border. The Barrio Azteca gang is in Juarez, but the Barrio Azteca gang is also in El Paso. So, of course, my concern as a marshal, they were going to try to break these guys out and, and get them back to Mexico. Uh, so I, I, I went all out on security, man. I mean, I worked with witness protection, which is part of the marshal service. Uh, worked with our local officers, and, and I had I went all out. Matter of fact, I got criticized by the defense attorney for doing overkill on security, and I took that as a compliment. Duh. Uh, cause, <laughs> yeah, I did. So yeah, yeah, you know, if I could have done more, I would have done it, man. Right, right. And uh, and these guys were uh, these guys were convicted, but just sitting in hearing the testimony of these guys killing not just a couple of people, hundreds of people, hundreds of people, and they're, they're testifying very nonchalantly, like, ah, yeah, I went out to breakfast or some shit like that. You know, it's just, uh, uh, so those are the kind of trials that uh, I, uh, I also uh, experienced, and it's good to see, because these are truly the worst of the worst. They were taken off the streets, and then the U.S. Marshals assisted a lot in locating them in Mexico and, and working with our counterparts in Mexico to have them arrested and uh, and then uh, brought to United States for uh, for trial. So tell me, how did you uh, you you went up to the level of deputy chief uh, in the El Paso Police Department? How did you get the U.S. Marshal position? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, and and, and the bottom line, it's a political uh, appointment. And uh, at that time, uh, Congressman Sylvester Reyes was a congressman for the El Paso area, the 16th congressional uh, district. I knew Congressman Reyes, not not really personally, but professionally. He used to be the Border Patrol uh, chief in El Paso. Uh, the guy was a uh, Vietnam veteran, a true uh, war hero, a true law enforcement hero. And I'd, or, I'd already retired from the El Paso Police Department, and I was doing my training, and I'll never forget it. I'm flying from El Paso. I was living in El Paso at the time to Seattle to do a class, and I'm stopping in Phoenix to change planes. And as, as I get off the plane, I get a phone call. And it's uh, from this guy saying he's the deputy chief of staff for Congressman Reyes. And uh, and I knew him, Sal. And I go, hey, Sal, what's going on? He goes, hey, uh, Congressman wanted me to call you. 
he wants to nominate you uh, or recommend you to the president uh, to nominate you as U.S. Marshal for the Western District of Texas. Are you interested? <laughs> and I remember telling him, you're fucking with me, right? And he goes, no, you know, I'm, I'm serious, and he's serious, and and just let us know. Well, shit, I don't need to think about this shit. Yeah, I'll do it. It's, great, it's a great honor, and I remember telling him, look, I don't know if I'm going to get the appointment or not, but we let the congressman know that I'm truly humbled and honored that he thought of me for this very prestigious uh, uh, position. And then Sal said, no, I'm telling you it's going to happen. Okay. And next thing I know, 13 months later, I'm in Washington, D.C., getting uh, sworn in. Of course, a lot of betting going on, interviewing, and all kinds of stuff. It's a long road to get there. Uh, but that's basically uh, how, how that occurred. Uh, the congressman Ray is uh, recommending me to the president. That's awesome. That, that's uh, what an honor, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Heck of an honor. Awesome. Heck of an and, honor. Uh, so now, Robert, you're t going out there. You're teaching. Tell me a little bit about your company. Yeah. Uh, the, the name of my comp company is called Almonte Consulting and, and Training. And um, I, I provide uh, training to law enforcement officers in, in, in different areas. My specialty uh, right now seems to be the most popular class at that uh, requested is called the patron saints of the Mexican underworld. And basically that class uh, involves who the Mexican cartel and the gangs working with or for the cartel are praying to for protection from uh, law enforcement. So I talk about a lot of the different icons that they're, they're praying to in developing this class. Uh, <clears throat> and I got to tell you, if, if, if we got some time, I can tell you how I got interested in the topic to, uh, to begin with. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Let's go there. Yeah, well, you know, back uh, working narcotics in the uh, in the 80s, uh, we would hit, you know, drug dealers' homes, and very often uh, we saw where they had uh, prayer uh, candles and statues of Jesus Christ and the Virgin Mary, uh, stuff like that. And then I learned very early on that they like to hide their heroin and cocaine right by Jesus or the Virgin Mary, them believing that uh, Jesus, the Virgin Mary, St. Jude are going to protect the, the drug. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I would do that. I'd go up and look at this stuff. And I remember I had a bunch of, uh, I had some of my coworkers, colleagues, other, other cop detectives, <clears throat> wouldn't get close to this stuff. They didn't, that I don't, I don't even want to get close to this stuff. Well, <clears throat> anyway, I remember one time, uh, and how I learn about this stuff. I do a lot of research, research, uh, including going into Mexico and visiting shrines and temples and visiting some here in the United States. But I remember going back to this house that we hit, this heroin dealer, and I find the heroin, and I ask her, hey, how come you have the heroin here by Jesus Christ? And she looks at me, and I'll never forget this, and she said, yeah, well, he was supposed to protect me from you. And, you know, they're sitting there in handcuffs, and I said, well, you know, it, it didn't work. And I'll never forget her response. I was expecting, yeah, I know, or no response. Her response was this. Yeah, I guess I need to pray harder. Huh. Holy shit. Oh. Holy shit. When she told me that shit, I go, hell. So that told me their belief in this, people that use it for, for criminal activity, the, the belief is embedded in their heart, their souls, and their mind, and it's unconditional. And that is that is very true. And it doesn't, and I, and I train cops around the country. It doesn't matter if you believe in this stuff or don't believe in whatever you think or you mock it or whatever. That, hadn't, that, that doesn't matter. What matters is that they believe in it and it's unconditional. And you need to believe, this is what I want you to believe, that they believe in it. That's all I want you to believe. And when you encounter this stuff out there, use it for what it's meant to be. Recognize it. Use it as a red flag to enhance your safety. Okay? 
and then use it also to help you further an investigation or conduct an investigation. Uh, I remember one time where I really realized <laughs> realized how serious they were about this stuff. We hit the house of a heroin dealer in El Paso who happened to be a bruja. I know not all your listeners know what a bruja is. A bruja is a witch. And, <clears throat> and I talk about that in my class because I talk about the witches and I talk about the curanderos, the healers. They're, they're, they're both very big in the Mexican Hispanic culture mm-hmm. and they're very big in the Mexican Hispanic criminal culture as well. So mm-hmm. that's why I talk about them. But we hit the house of a bruja that we had arrested before. We go in there, we clear the house, go to the back room, clear that back room, a small room, kind of dark, and we see the reflection of candle lights on the wall. It was a candle, uh, a flame from the prayer candle. And I walk up and see this stuff, and my partner that's with me, his name's Joe, he doesn't like this stuff. Joe's a big dude, man, but he won't get close to this stuff. Hey, Joe, come check this shit out. I go, nah, man. You, you look at it. I'm not getting close to that shit. I go, what's the matter? You believe in this stuff? He goes, no, I don't believe in that shit, but just in case. Okay. So <laughs> walk, walk up to the table, and I see the stuff I'm used to seeing. Like only now I see two voodoo dolls. And I don't, I don't, I'd only seen voodoo dolls in old Tarzan movies, right? Right. So uh, voodoo dolls, like voodoo dolls, big white eyes, and then they had a piece of paper on them with pins stuck in them. And I get close to it, and I go, huh, voodoo doll, man. I picked it up, and I looked at it, and I go... Hey, Joe. He goes, what? Your name's on this shit. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he doesn't see it, but he goes, shut up. That's not funny. Put that shit down. So I go, no, nah, man, I'm serious. Look, so I walked up to him and I showed it to him. And I thought, I thought he was going to pass out. So oh, he saw shit. his name on a voodoo doll. And I thought he looked pale, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I'm, and, and Joe's a friend of mine, man. I worked with this guy a long time. And sure. I go, holy shit, the guy's going to pass out. So I did wow. what probably you would have done, Rafa. I laughed my ass off, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, Look at this I love it, love it. You're, you're, you're eating lunch today, man, by yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, he was like, shit. So oh, then man. I'm laughing, and I put it down, and I pick up the second one. Hey, this shit's not funny anymore, man. Can we charge her with this shit? <laughs> it's a different feeling when you see your name on a voodoo doll with a bunch of pins stuck oh, in it. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. No so, doubt. you know, that was a long time ago, but that's going on today, uh, Rafa, where they're putting, they, the, the gang, the cartel, they're, they're themselves, they're, they're hiring these witches to put hexes on police officers. Mm-hmm. But my training involved what these hexes entail, mm-hmm. what they what they look like, um, possibly a cow's tongue mm-hmm. uh, wrapped in a cord, you know, so many different things. So I, I, I talk about all those things, and then... And then the message I give to cops is, look, remember what I said? It doesn't matter that you don't believe in this shit. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about a hex on you, okay? Let's talk about a hex on you. My, right, concern, right. my concern is not the supernatural aspect of this hex. My concern is to what extent will these people go to make that hex come true? Yo, and got that, it, you, got it. Yeah, you know, you just need to be aware, man. They put a hex out on your ass, you know, you need to be a little bit more aware, you know, maybe yep. before you go home. Pull into your house, maybe make sure you're not being tailed or some shit like that. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so just so many, so many different things. So that seems to be the uh, most popular class. I talk about Santa Muerte, uh, who is the one that's uh, more popular. I talk about Jesus Malverde, who was the original narco saint who did not originate as a narco saint. Something interesting on Jesus Malverde, uh, Rafa, is that, and I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, he was Vaguely, the original. Yes, I am. Yeah, he originated in Culiacán, Sinaloa, and like mm-hmm. in the early 1900s. 
the legend is, and I say legend because me personally, based on my research, I don't think he existed, but again, it doesn't matter what I believe. Mm-hmm. But what he would do is, uh, he was known as a Mexican virgin in Robin Hood, hide in the green brush wearing green camouflage, jump out, surprise his victim, rob them, give to the poor. Government catches up to him, hang him from a tree. Uh, all these poor people, they see their hero getting hung, so they called him the angel of the poor. And then 30, 40 years ago or so, uh, Mexican law enforcement and then U.S. law enforcement began noticing drug traffickers in possession of images of Jesus Manvrezde. What's interesting was this past May, the juror questionnaire for the Chapo Guzman trial that's going to be held later on this year in New York mm-hmm. was released. And one of the questions posed by the defense attorneys to the jurors, prospective jurors, was, are you familiar with Jesus Manvrezde? So in seeing that and reading that, my opinion is that it looks like the defense, it's going to be part of the defense, saying that Chapu Guzman, yeah, he did all these things. He did all these bad things, but he did it for the right reason to help the poor people there in in Culiacan, Sinaloa. So I found that interesting, and I'm going to continue to monitor that that trial and see what what goes on. So so many different things I talk about on on the patron saints class. I also teach a... A hotel motel interdiction class targeting mm-hmm. drug dealers and uh, sex traffickers out of hotels and motels how to do that how to do that successfully it's a formal program and i talk to the officers i teach them how to do that i teach them how to knock on a door the correct way how to where to stand how to stand how not to stand what to say how to say a different thing just techniques techniques on doing a a knock and talk i also teach a stash house interdiction class um based on the concept that Drug cartels, gangs are using stash houses throughout the country to stash uh, drugs, drug money, and people. So uh, those are the three most uh, popular classes I teach. Oh, another one that I've been teaching here lately, the Narco Corrido. Uh, Narco Corrido is a ballad glamorizing the drug trafficking culture. And, and matter of fact, in some cases, glamorizing specific drug, uh, drug cartels. Chapo Guzman has a lot of Narco Curido songs made about him. So mm-hmm. I talk about who's playing these songs in the United States, where they're traveling to, uh, because the concept back then uh, about that is that you're gonna, it's going to attract some drug traffickers because of the music being played. So I've gone to, uh, and matter of fact, I'm, I'm kind of proud to tell you, I've done some undercover work uh, going to the Narco Corrido concerts, uh, dressing the part, hanging out with these guys, and uh, mm-hmm. listening to music and stuff like that, and researching what's going on there so i'm having fun with that class as well awesome and that's so you're really entrenched into you know the whole methodology and the concept and the strategies that these gangs use and that's phenomenal so tell me a little bit about sex trafficking that is a big subject nowadays uh especially coming out of haiti what's your take on that yeah it's really uh horrible there's been a tremendous increase in uh in sex trafficking uh, not just here in the United States, but uh, throughout the uh, uh, the world, uh, sex trafficking, uh, and uh, then along with sex trafficking is human tra- trafficking, and then before that is human smuggling. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of this starts with human smuggling, where these people are smuggled into the United States. These people pay money to the drug smugglers. Uh, excuse me, human smugglers to bring them into the United States. And let me point something out right now, Rafa, before I forget. The Mexican cartels have increased their activity in human smuggling throughout the United States. Last summer uh, in San Antonio, we had 10 people die that were in inhumane conditions, trapped in a, a rig in a, in a, during the middle of summer. 
uh, where these 100 people are trying to breathe through a hole in the, in the floor, 10 people uh, dead. Well, anyway, investigation showed that the Zeta cartel was responsible for the, uh, for the human smuggling, for smuggling those people. And I will get to sex trafficking here in a second, but I think it's very important is that the, the appeal for the drug cartel to get more involved in human smuggling is, is, I think it's very simple, okay? They're treating people and drugs the same. They're both commodities. Now, when they're smuggling large amounts of drugs into the United States, very often they don't get all the money fronted to them right away. So the money, if the dope gets taken down, the cartels lose the money that they were going to get, and they lose the money, the value of the drug. Okay, the difference in human smuggling, the cartels involved in human smuggling, they get the money up front from all these people being smuggled, up front. So these uh, people get uh, detained, arrested in, in the United States, cartels don't lose anything because they already got their money. That's why we're seeing a big increase in that. Now getting into the, the sex trafficking, a lot of these people that are smuggled into the United States, especially the young girls, once they come over here and they're placed at a stash house, that's the class mm -hmm. that, one of the classes mm -hmm. that I teach, uh, some of them are forced into sex trafficking. Sex trafficking, a lot of sex trafficking is occurring at the hotels. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't know that, but uh, approximately between 70 to 80 percent of all sex trafficking in the United States occurs in hotels and motels. That's and interesting. That's why I put that, yeah, and that's why I put that class together so that cops throughout the United States can proactively, proactively, aggressively address sex trafficking going on at the hotels and motels. Are they going to get drug cases? Absolutely. Are you going to get other criminal cases? Absolutely. But focusing and hitting these sex trafficking, uh, sex traffickers taking them off the street and saving lives of these young girls. What kind of money are we talking about? I mean, is it, you know, to get a feel, especially for our listeners here, I mean, going into, you know, smuggling and sex trafficking and I mean, what, what kind of money are we talking millions, billions? I, I would say, I would say overall, you're talking about in the billion. Wow. Overall in the billions, overall. Uh, the, the actual uh, people paying money to get smuggled in the United States, they pay uh, several hundred, sometimes several thousand dollars. And then here's the other thing. Several of them, when they are brought to a stash house in the United States, and then you have these caretakers in the home, some of them are armed. And they don't let them leave. And they'll tell them, we need more money. And they say, well, I just, we, we gave $5,000 in Mexico. You need a, we need another 5000 Here, call your family. That goes on a lot and a lot, and basically they're they're kept as slaves, or they're going to have to work it off, and that's when they uh, convert them into uh, sex traffic uh, sex trafficking victims. And so, you know the the, uh, the saddest part, the, the saddest part, Robert, is that we are the best customer in the entire world, the United States. Yeah, yeah, that, there's no doubt about it, and and you know there's a lot of different, uh, and and that's what I, <clears throat> that's what I would hope to people out there that are involved in uh, like to go out there and get these young girls uh, prostitution is, is what I'm talking about is, is, is I hope they realize uh, what kind of situation these uh, young girls came from what kind of situation they're in and yeah absolutely they're the ones that are keeping these uh, these uh, sex traffickers in business yeah tough one man tough one Hey, listen, man, before we go, what I would like for you to do is take a second here. I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all my guests. And more importantly here, you are, to me, an example of a warrior, no doubt about it, a man that not only is out there, has done 
all these things, all these specific things that are helping the community, helping the world, but more importantly that now you're giving of yourself and you're going out there and you are helping others. You're helping others through your experience. So my question to you here is this, what is your definition of a modern day warrior? That's a, uh, that's a very good uh, question and obviously having to give, put some thought into it. And the key here is modern day warrior. A modern day warrior is dealing with different things that I first dealt with when I started my law enforcement career almost 40 years ago. <clears throat> a modern day uh, warrior is, is dealing with technology that wasn't available to me when I first started. And technology uh, can be good and technology can be bad used against uh, law enforcement. So modern-day uh, warrior is is using all of the things that that are in place, all of the tools that are in place today, uh, primarily to to keep them uh, safe. Having the mindset, having the mindset of of uh, of uh, not getting uh, discouraged, not getting defeated, no matter what happens to you in your personal or professional life. Uh, <clears throat> talking about law enforcement or the military. And I tell awesome. my guys this, and when I'm doing the training, it's, it's this, when, you know, when we're doing hotel interdiction, stash house interdiction, when we're doing our drug buys and everything else combined, what you're doing is you're, 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 you're staying on the heels of these criminals, not letting them catch your breath. You're hitting them with everything you got. You're sending a message to the criminals. I don't care what city you're in in the United States. And the message is, to them is this. We're going to make it as difficult as possible for you to operate in our community. We're going to kick your ass. And we do it by hitting you in the hotels, in the stash houses, on the highway, by doing undercover work, whatever it takes. But the modern warrior is not going to give up. The modern warrior knows that uh, there is no crook out there that is good as you. There is no crook out there that's better than you. It's having that mindset that also that you're going to go home every night to your family. You go out there, you kick ass day in and day out, you do it the right way. And then you go home at night, you look in the mirror, and you like what you see. You like what you see because you're doing all these things, but you're doing it lawfully. You're doing it, you're playing fair, and you know that you're doing a good thing. You're taking, you're protecting your community from bad people out there. And there's a lot of, a lot of bad people out there. So Modern Warrior is just dealing with all these different things I've just talked about. Having that positive mindset, that positive attitude that uh, you're never going to give up, never going to, I don't give a shit what happened in your life. I got knocked down just a couple of years ago where some people tried to destroy me. I mean, tried to destroy me, tried to destroy my life, and it just, you know what? That shit ain't going to happen. I'm not going to let somebody else define who I am. I'm not going to let somebody else define what I did, What define what I'm doing. It's me. It's me, and it's God helping me, and my faith is going to keep me going forward no matter what happens in life. And... And that's for everybody. Awesome, man. Awesome. Great words. Awesome. Hey, listen, where can people reach you? Okay. Uh, they can reach me. Uh, first of all, I got a website, and it's robertalmonte.com. And then my email address is robert at robertalmonte.com. Got it. Are you on any social media at all? Uh, yeah, Facebook. Yeah, Robert Almonte, uh, Facebook, and also Almonte Consulting and Training 
uh, on Facebook as well. Got it. I'll put that uh, all on the show notes. So if someone wants to reach out to you, maybe have them have you come in and speak um, <clears throat> to a group or someone or an agency or for that ma model, even even a uh, business uh, type yeah. setting. Absolutely. See if we can get you in there, my brother. Listen, it has no, been an absolute that. honor, man, to have you on. Great stuff. Some great stories. I mean, in my book, Robert, you are a warrior. No doubt about it, man. I look forward, hopefully, to having you on soon enough, man, and kind of talking more about, you know, your career and your mindset. Thank you very much, Rafa. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Truly really humbled to be a part of your show. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, brother. You too. There you have it. What a great conversation with Robert Almonte. This guy knows his stuff, no doubt about it. And listen, there's a lot that he spoke about that you can implement and integrate into your life. You don't have to be a undercover agent. You don't have to be a top cop for this. This can be implemented and integrated into your life today. All right, my brothers, listen up. Before you go, if you have not gotten your tickets yet, if you have not purchased your tickets yet for the Conclave of Warriors, make sure you head over there, conclaveofwarriors.com. Also, please, and it'll mean so much to us, leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.